It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports Exchange. And uh, along with the Motor City Madmouth, and if anybody can relate to that name, it's our guest, uh, Eric Hippel. And in the house is Candy Eveling. And Eric, thanks for being on the Sports Exchange. Glad to have you with us. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a privilege for me to be able to talk to a person whom I watched play for the Detroit Lions growing up as a kid. So now here I am at 57 years of age talking to a guy that I, if anybody could have gotten their pro career off to a better start than you, I would like to find out who because I'll tell you what, on 10-19-81, Monday Night Football, the Detroit Lions crushed the Chicago Bears 48-17. to do I need to tell you the numbers? No. Do I need to tell everybody else the numbers? Yes. Okay. A day's work consists of four touchdown passes, 336 yards, and you ran for two touchdowns. And I don't need a math uh, teacher to tell me that you had six touchdowns and you're going to throw another one tonight to the audience. So, Eric, let's go out there and uh, rec- uh, re- reminisce about that game on Monday Night Football, undoubtedly one of the best debuts probably in Monday Night Football history. The floor is yours, Eric. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And it was good talking to you down in, the, down in Florida as well. The down there. But the, um, so, the, so it was a really interesting way I got to start, first of all, because I was the third-team quarterback. It was my second year in the league. And um, the starting quarterback broke his hand. It was a Gary Danielson broke his hand you know, early in the season. The backup quarterback went in and played the next two games and just stunk it up. And uh, <laughs> so... And we were in positions where I think there's a lot of pressure that was on our head coach, Monty Clark, at the time. And I think he had a kind of a dilemma. Okay, what are we going to do? Do we take a shot on this, you know, this rookie or this uh, this third team quarterback that hasn't had a start in the in the game? And um, it's Monday Night Football, but I think he was under quite a bit of pressure until the offensive coordinator, Bob Schnelker, convinced him that I could do the job. And so I got a phone call up on Monday. Not the day of the game, obviously, but the previous Monday. And um, it was coach, and he said, hey, uh, we're going to start you next week on Monday Night Football. So, you know, as a, when you get that news, it's kind of like, oh, man, the first thing, you know, I was super excited because, oh, my parents are going to get a chance to see this game. You know, uh, my, my friends in high school get a chance to see this game. My first start, my college teammates going to see this first game. And then, of course, it dawned on me that everybody is going to get a chance to see this game. And so, you know, so you kind of like, Oh, this is a big deal, and it's also the big, biggest opportunity you can ever have. And you do not want to 
have a misstep. And so the game starts at 9 o'clock. Now, the pregame meal, they were, we were told what the first play was going to be. It was going to be a pass play. So then you, uh, you know, you get that in your meeting, and then uh, and you got a lot of time to think about it before the game actually starts. And so I remember being at the hotel room, you know, sitting in the room by myself, waiting for, you know, the time to come to go to the stadium. And just, man, almost got down on my knees and just said, just don't let me screw this up. You know what I mean? At least a decent showing. I had a lot of confidence because I worked really, really hard, you know, and um, and I always had the belief I could if I just got a chance. But now that it's there, there's a lot of anxiety. Are you actually going to be able to pull this thing off? And the first play was going to be a pass play. And so during warm-ups, and, you know, I'm thinking of all the things, you know, what to look for, what can do this, which is that trying what they have this coverage, what do I do here, what do I do there, and all those things go through your head. But I've, i I got to tell you, when you get underneath the ball, you get underneath the snap, the first snap, you walk up underneath there, your adrenaline is pumping. And as soon as that ball snapped, pow, it was, I think it's happened so fast that I don't even remember looking downfield for the coverage. I just was going to throw the ball. <laughs> so anyway, and I let it go, and it was about a 40-yard pass down the middle of the field, and it was complete. And the, uh, the fans just lit up. First of all, it was kind of the unknown. I was the third-team quarterback. Our star running back, Billy Sims, was not playing in the game because he, he had a bad turf toe. So he's not starting. So it's just me. And um, so all eyes are kind of skeptical. And uh, and that first pass lit it up. And things just kind of, the, the game went really fast. But, I mean, I did a lot of scrambling. Ended up running for a couple touchdowns. But during that during that time, um, we I also threw for a, 90, a 94-yard touchdown pass in that game, which was kind of an odd thing in itself. Just Chicago Bears, at that time, they ran like six different defenses. It was, this was prior to their, you know, their – 85 defense that run the Super Bowl with them when they really honed it down. So this was they were still experimenting, and they threw all these different fronts and were on like the six yard line, backed up, and um, they called a play action pass. It's third down, third and one. Fake the pass, uh, fake the, the play action, and um, and our wide receiver we only had one guy going out. It was a full sellout, and um, he had man coverage and he broke across the field, and so he actually ran the wrong route. So it took me a second to find him. Just before I got hit, I let the ball go, and he catches it. I hit the ground, and I hear the crowd roaring. By the time I stand up, he's crossing the end zone down there. It's 94 yards later, you know, down there, and just places going nuts. And I remember standing there on that, on that goal line and watching the other goal line as, as he crossed it, and the place is going nuts, and it just dawned on me. It just said, oh, oh, my gosh, I made it. You know, I can play in this game. I can play in this league. And I think that was the, the part that all of a sudden, whew, and I, I just kind of felt free and, and just kind of absorbed it all. And then, of course, we went on and it was a, you know, I think it was a 47-2017 uh, game. And so I got to enjoy the end of it <laughs> so, because I knew we were going to win. Well, ironically, Howard Cosell did not broadcast that game because if he did, Eric, I can rest assured his toupee would have fallen off his grill. So, <laughs> so I, But meanwhile, you were observed by three quarterbacks in the booth. Go ahead and name the three, please. Now, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, so Frank uh, Tarkington, uh, Frank Gifford, uh, Fran Tarkington, uh, Frank Gifford, and Don Meredith were in the booth that night. And here's the best thing about that was, as, as, as I've done before when I've seen a young quarterback all of a sudden break out and has a great game with, you know, like a rookie quarterback and, and watch him play, and it's like, I can feel it. I'm kind of reliving it. Oh, this is so cool. All three of those dudes were doing that, man. <laughs> so was, as I'm just having this light-up night. They're talking like crazy. Oh, this, and they're reliving it, and they're having fun with it. And um, so I remember my uh, my dad called me called me up after the uh, the game was over, 
and he was laughing and joking about you know the success and the, the great game and stuff but he was talking about the guys in the booth about how they kept saying oh yeah that's just like oh that reminds me of it I'm you know young you know so, so they're kind of reliving it which really helped with uh, you know with the, the, the good praise I was getting from the game you know they really built me up and uh, I gotta tell you that thing you know it's such a big breakout and uh, a surprise there's a way I wasn't surprised I was surprised how everything kind of broke open and kind of worked out um, I mean, even the audibles all, all fitted together and everything else. It was kind of a magical night. But I don't think I slept like three days after that game, man. It was like, you know, adrenaline kicking. And uh, it was just a really nice way to start off. Well, let me tell you, if you're a Lions fan, and I wasn't a member of the media back then, so I was one of those things called a fan. Well, of course, nowadays I don't know what it's like to be one because I have a microphone and a computer in front of me. But think about it. The Lions hadn't had a good quarterback since Bobby Lane. Never heard of him? Okay. And they were begging for you to go ahead and take the throne, thinking maybe, just maybe, okay, we've got one. Unfortunately, you know, you were not the quarterback of the future, but boy, you uh, were definitely uh, a quarterback that provided a spark with a franchise that desperately needed. Considering the fact that back in 1979, the franchise was, what, 2-14, and and then they drafted Billy Sims, and then they added you, and you came out of nowhere to provide a spark with that organization. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I think the other thing with uh, with Detroit was um, I was a scrappy quarterback, and, and and Detroit's kind of a scrappy town. You know, they they like their you know their hardworking, you know, tough toughness, and then and so they, they kind of identified by that. And um, I was the type that scrambled, you know, and I got knocked down. I'd get back up, you know, I wasn't afraid to run and, and not just run and run out of bounds. I mean, I wasn't afraid to run and run into people. I was kind of reckless like that, which was, um, which I kind of enjoyed. I mean, the reason I got into football to start with was, A, when I was a kid, to belong to something, right, because I really enjoyed the team stuff. The second part is I really liked hitting. <laughs> so, right. Know, I always wanted to play linebacker, and I played strong safety, and then when I got into high school, um, the, the coach put me at quarterback because I could throw the ball halfway decent, but... Um, and so I got stuck at quarterback, and, and that's continued all the way through my college career and then in the pros. And so um, I, I didn't mind the hit, not at all. You know, the one quarterback I really enjoyed watching for the time he played, I wish he would have gotten a starting job after they won their lone playoff game, was Eric Kramer. Eric Kramer, to me, was a hard-nosed quarterback, and you know what? To me, he was a joy to watch him. He should have been rewarded for winning that playoff game. Unfortunately, Wayne Fonts made the decision at a later date to go back to Rodney Pete because he didn't believe a guy should lose his job to an injury. But, you know, that's just one person's opinion. Do you feel, uh, though... You know, the, no, I'm going to jump on that for a second because that's a really interesting uh, thing. So Eric and I are friends. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, in fact, I just talked to him a couple days ago. Um, and um, so we, we still stay in touch and stuff, and... Um, and when he left, you know, we stayed in touch because he went. And, I went. I worked for Fox for five years for ninety-five thousand, and then um, and he went to broadcasting and stuff. But when you go back to that, um, so after that eighty-one year, when the breakout I had, Gary Danielson came back the following year, and uh, with his hand because he had broken his hand, came back and now he's not hurt anymore. And the coach did the same thing uh, to me. Was well, okay, well, you know, management wanted to start me and. Coach Monty Clark did not want to start me because you can't lose your job on an injury. And right. So he kept putting Gary back in, and so that re that resolving 
back and forth was really, really tough. It was tough on Gary. It was tough on me, you know, because, you know, you got these mixed messages that are coming across. And instead of supporting one person saying, you're the starter, and then um, and you're a second team waiting for it to happen, they kept trying to play us both and try to make somebody win it out on the field rather than saying, hey, let's make this. And so that was really difficult. And that, you know, it, and I, I considered it, it hurt my career a little bit, and it certainly hurt, damaged Gary's. And then, um, and then we went to a strike year, and, and then came back out, and and all that. And then they finally traded him, and then I, I had two really good years before I started getting beat up, get injured. Yeah. But the, uh, but but Eric Kramer, in the same circumstance, you know, he came into the league, and uh, during one of those years where we were on strike, and he got into the league that way, and then he stuck and stayed. And so um, I don't think he ever earned the respect he had as a player going up and so we're going to put our draft choice and keep our guy here and, and put him in because you can't so there's a lot of politics unfortunately with a lot of this stuff as well it's not just you know uh, the type of player you are and the player you float the top uh, but trying to stay there with a lot of politics is really hard to stay there well you know it's funny I met Eric uh, Super Bowl 39 in Jacksonville and I did meet him uh, and we talked for like a couple of minutes and I told him you know on the record between him and I I felt the Lions made the biggest mistake on the planet that they should have gone with him the following year. And as I remember him telling me, he said, well, thank you very much for saying that. Well, you're welcome, but I really mean it. Maybe hopefully down the road, if fate ever has its way, I'd love to get him on the show down the road. But, but you know, to me, Eric Kramer... Well, like, looking back, he got his revenge. He went to Chicago. And, yeah, I know. Well, no, that's okay. No, you're right. He did. If you're going to go ahead and stick it to your old team, just do it in division. It doesn't make any difference. So, but you know, but I, I still have nothing but the utmost respect for Eric, and of course, you know how I feel about you by now. But that said, okay, Eric, let's talk about the highlights of your NFL career. Well, you know, I consider you know that certainly the biggest highlight would be that Monday night game because it's just the way the impact made into the league and everything else. But for me. Um, playing against Chicago Bears, um, I love playing against Chicago Bears. You know, forget that Monday Night Football game. I mean, just playing against them. We played twice a year, of course, because of our division. Right. But it was fun playing against them because they had some they had some great athletes. First of all, uh, they were always a challenging defense to play, but they also had some very smart players. You know, Gary Finsick at, at the time back there, at, at the, he kind of ran. He was kind of like the captain of their defense, and then Singletary. You know, when he became kind of their captain of the defense, they were smart players. And so going up, you know, and the challenge was like, <laughs> it wasn't like checkers, it was like chess. You come up underneath the, the line of scrimmage and you see them, but they're playing against you. And so you, some plays are bad, so you audible out of them, you know, and uh, when you audible out, if, they're, if they see you make the change and stuff, and all of a sudden they're audibling into their defense and they're changing it back. And so you got to re audible again. So it was like this game going back and forth. And so it was like a cat bouncing with somebody versus by on the intelligence side. In the meantime, you know, just a, it's a physical game on, in the trenches. And so I always enjoyed playing against, you know, Chicago. It was just fun. One of the other nemesis, of course, was, uh, was Green Bay. Uh, I enjoyed playing Green, Green Bay. I had the highlights of my career, I would say, uh, was also um, was in Green Bay, and I believe it was 86. Uh, it was 80, I think it was 86. And, um, you know, when you're in a position, um, when you watch game film, the coaches grade you on performance, in other words, and so it's not necessarily how many, um, you know, passes you through or touchdowns or those. What they're really grading is um, your mechanic, your your reads, your mechanics, and uh, and so you can go from have you can have a hundred percent game, you know, uh, did nothing wrong, still lose a game, but you actually played a perfect game, 
because you n- never missed a read. You never missed a pass. You didn't throw behind. I mean, everything was just perfect, right? And so you could still lose but have a perfect game by, by a coach's measurement of how they grade you. Right. And, so, um, and so it doesn't have to do with rating or anything else. It's how they grade you, how you perform at your position. And I, I had a perfect game going. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and I mean, it was like one of those days the sun was shining. It was a, uh, it was just, a, when we play in Green Bay, it is like one of the greatest places to play because of the tradition for one. The fans are, this is real football. You know, it's not indoors. It's not. It's real football. It's grass. It's just a great place to play. And um, and it was just one of those days. The sun was right. Everything just felt good. It was um, when you get in the in the zone. In other words, where you're not really having to think because it comes automatic, and you're able to consciously kind of sit on top and watch and say, "This is so cool." And you notice the little things. You know, the if things just all they just work, and you're right in that zone, and things just like so smooth and I was in there man I was like so passes were happening and and then we got into the half just before half and we're ahead and I thought you know what I I can sit on the ball we'll just go into you know go into halftime we got the lead I thought you know let's just take a shot at this thing so in the huddle I told my receiver I said hey listen there's still the ball deep and you know if uh, we get pass interference great Um, it'll be fantastic down there you know so we can take a field goal now you know and so I sit him down deep and I went back and I threw the ball down and it got intercepted. And I came over to the sideline, and uh, and, the, and uh, my offensive uh, coordinator punched me. <laughs> really? Go, yeah. <laughs> and he hits me, and I, I go, what was that for? And he goes, well, dang it, you had a perfect game going. What would you throw the interception for? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going, well, because if we get a pass interference, though, we get a field goal. You know, I mean, I'm right. just trying to get points. You know, and yet, you know, I didn't, you know, so I don't think of all those terms of, of trying to perfect my game, it was about trying to win, and I, I just thought it was such an odd thing, you know. Right. To uh, from a coaching perspective, you got a perfect game going. Why would you do that? And I'm thinking, I, I like to win games, man. But it was just really interesting. But, uh, but it was one of those beautiful days. We came back out and we had we ended up winning the game, and things just really well. That was uh, so. That was uh, 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 I just enjoyed playing Green Bay a lot as well. Well, always, always good, good hard to fight games. Let me tell you, I've covered games at Lambeau, and I've even covered them at Milwaukee County Stadium. I, I can tell you right now what I think of Milwaukee County Stadium. I couldn't stand working there because it just, to me, what you know, it did nothing for me. On the other hand, you're right. Lambeau Field is a shrine. Everybody should put it on their bucket list as a place to watch a game. And to me, the when you go terrible. there, what's that? <laughs> the seats are terrible. Well, they weren't so bad for me when I was in the press box, but you can't oh, judge what I'm yeah, doing versus where you're at. Is, what they put up with as a fan, because, you know, this goes back, right? Right. Uh, I know they've done a lot of uh, reconditioning and, and, and building it up and stuff, but, but still, they were bench seats. It was like right. playing at a college game with bench seats. They weren't seats where you have a back to them. Right. They were bench seats, and they, and they, they jam everybody in there, which made it kind of cool, you know, but, you know, because it's just a wall of people. Um, but <laughs> from a fan's point of view, it's not the most comfortable. But uh, from a player standpoint of view, it is awesome. Yeah, and from a media guy, it's so awesome. So since we're talking about the Green Bay battles, okay, uh, you have a Packers fan sitting right here. She's flexing her muscles, showing how macho she is, and now she wants to talk to you about the Packers battles from from a Wisconsin point of view. The floor is yours with her on this one, Eric, before we get to a few other football-related questions and then on to the nonprofits. Okay. So, Eric, did you ever play in County Stadium? In which one? 
in in Milwaukee County Stadium. I did, I did. Oh gosh, were they lighting people up on both sides? Yes. <laughs> in fact, uh, I remember uh, being so both teams are on the same sideline, yep. which is really really strange, you know. And so yeah, I did play there when they used to play down there. And um, I remember we we're playing, and uh, I'm throwing a nose thing at uh, me. Think of the quarterback, uh, ma- uh, Magic. Okay, so he was quarterback at the time when uh, we we're playing against them down there. And um, I remember walking from our sideline. And I crossed their line and walked over there, and I was standing over there, and they're trying to get any information I can. And uh, ended up having a conversation with him. It was just Michalski, if you remember him correctly. And so, uh, so it was just a, a strange um, a thing, the way it was just set up. You know, it's like you're both on the, on the same side. So it was a strange place to play. <laughs> and strange place to cover a game, too. Go ahead, it, Candy. I mean, that was, that was originally a baseball stadium. So it was yes, really it, made for it, baseball. It was. It was really odd. Like, you know, you know they, I don't think, I don't, are there any stadiums that, that, that there's no stadiums out there that are, that are dual? I don't. Well, actually, the last one, Eric, was uh, Oakland, so now the okay, Raiders have yeah. moved out of there. But, yeah, they're well, definitely I, 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 a dying I, breed. I know when I broke my ankle against uh, Frisco, that was on the, um, was the uh, they have a still baseball stadium there as well. In yeah, fact, it was Candlestick Park. Yeah, Candlestick Park, yeah, when Charles Haley hit me, and the, uh, I slid down my leg and it snapped my ankle. And uh, my foot went on backwards. And um, in fact, I remember that happened. You know, Charles Haley came off the end and hit me. And um, the snap, I heard it snap, but I didn't feel any any pain because obviously the body was in shock. But I remember laying there. And then, um, of course, you know, after they put me up, they put me in kind of the air casting and get me off the field. We go in the locker room, and uh, the pain still hasn't set in yet because it's still in shock. And uh, they pulled all that stuff off me and, and tried to set it. <laughs> I had scrapes on the on the inside of my ankle because that's how it snapped and laid on the ground, and they had to scrape the dirt out of it from the from the infield. <laughs> so it's, it was like I slid or something, you know. But um, yeah, so that was there, and I, I think uh, playing down the uh, I think L.A. Uh, at the time, the Rams. I think no, that they weren't that. Um, yeah, Anaheim. I think they right. Played, yeah, uh, right. At Angel yeah. Stadium. So those are always difficult because you know the difference of the. First of all, they didn't have a, the proper crown like you'd want to have in a regular football field, and so you have to throw the ball a little bit different because the way the, the ball breaks, you know, downhill off of a, you know, off of a normal crown, and so there's a lot of differences about that. But um, that's one thing. Um, I was I'm happy that they don't have those anymore uh, because playing on a football field is the way it should be played. It's also oh, yeah. a much better experience for the fans as well. Candy, do you have any other uh, Packers questions you want to hit, Eric? This is your opportunity to do it. We got to give her a due, Eric. Eric, was there any defensive player that you really didn't want to see on the field against you that was a Packer? You're going to have to help me with the names here because I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Uh, strong safety. Um, Le- was it Leroy? Was Le- what was it? Not Leroy Butler, was it? No, uh, but he wasn't, he wasn't any fun either. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, That's all right. Kill me. I'm sorry I can't think of his name right now, but well, I've I, I got to tell you. She's researching it, so you can. I'll just go ahead while we have her uh, researching it. Charles Haley inflicted a lot of pain on everybody, so join the club. Yeah, well, I can tell you that the Green Bay um, one of the one of the that really hurt hurt me. Um, uh, it was the season uh, where we went ahead and went off um, and went to the playoffs, and we lost against uh, San Francisco, um, where Ed Murray missed the fifty-two yard field goal, which everybody remembers him missing and and holding him accountable for the loss. We could have gone on. Because Francisco went ahead and went on and won the Super Bowl that year. Was, but, um, wasn't that when Monty Clark prayed that he would make it? No, if yeah, I, yeah, 
back here yet, but I, I, there's a, some backstory to that, which was okay. the uh, the last game of the season, our regular season. We we're playing Green Bay, and I threw a touchdown pass, and um, I'm standing there after I threw the wall. He caught it in the end zone, and strong safety for Green Bay came over and hit me, and uh, blew my knee out. And so wow. I didn't get a chance to play in the suit in the uh, playoff game. Uh, Danielson uh, ended up starting that game, and um, everybody you know really hits you know hard on Green Bay. I'm shooting on um, on Eddie Murray for missing that field goal, but Gary threw five interceptions in that game, and um, and well, you know had uh, had I not had I been able to play in that game, um, Vince we would have won. We had probably had a chance. We had a really strong team. Had a chance to go and play, uh, to the Super Bowl because first going up going to the Super Bowl that year and winning. So anyway, so thanks Green Bay. <laughs> it could be Reggie White. No, no, Reggie White, by the way, um, actually did the league. I mean, did players a huge. Uh, he became a leader, you know, for and for rights and stuff for uh, for players, and um, and actually changed the face of how how the league is how the money is shared today. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was a big piece of that. Yeah. I will. No, I, man, if I could think of the, I can't think of his name. Well, you so might come up with it later. Don't worry about yeah, it. I'm not gonna. Yeah. We, we'll go Maybe to some I other. To, I think I tried to block him out. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, I'm going to give you opportunities to come up with it. So I'm going to go on to three more football questions, and we'll go to nonprofits. And if you're like me, okay, you would think that that blank all of a sudden will get it before we go off the air. Otherwise, people will have to interact. With us. So all right. So let's go ahead and talk about what it'd be like playing in today's NFL. There's less hand checking and more protection of the quarterback. And I know you took a beating back there. Um. Yeah, and I, I'm going to give you a little bit of evolution with how, to, to, this is my opinion, but I think it's um, of how things got to the passing games and stuff the way they are. And the 85 Bears, that, that defense, they had the 46 defense, right. um, changed the face of how def- changed the face of football and how offenses work and everything else. Dominant, and, uh, and they brought everybody in, but you could not tell if it was a blitz, if it was a drop out to a zone. And if it was a blitz, there's no way you can block it. You cannot protect it. And so that means you're throwing breakoffs every play, and you can't win by doing that. And so um, it had to be find a way. And so that was the year they went to the Super Bowl. The following year, we came back out, and uh, since we played them twice, we had to figure out something. So we found out that you can spread out your offense completely, spread it out. And they have to show what they're doing. So they'd have to spread everybody out too. So I can see what's man, I can see if they're blitz, I can see if it's going to be a zone, what are they going to do? And that gave an opportunity for you to, to actually run an offense against it. Um, it was shortly after that that uh, the Jets started running the defense. Um, uh, Rams ran that defense. Um, almost every team had a type of that 46 defense they put. And so teams had to adjust to it. And you started seeing teams have four receivers and spread everything out on first down so they could play against that defense. And that was the beginning of the spread offenses. You know, they had nickel backs on third down, but this was the beginning of the, really the, the true spread offenses of, uh, of how the, the games are changing. Today, it, it is such a such a, uh, an offensive advantage against the defense, and primarily because of the quarterback position. Yes, the defensive backs have a disadvantage. Receivers have a big advantage, but it's really the, in the, it's really the quarterback has so much advantage because before he even takes a snap, he is not under any pressure at all because he knows he can throw the ball away. If I know I can throw the ball away, what do I have to lose? I can, I can run a play every down, and I do not have to force it downfield or throw it downfield. So my chance of throwing an interception goes way down because I can throw the ball away. I don't have to take a sack, so I don't have a negative play. If they've got a good pass rush, I right. can throw the ball away. 
and you can't hit me in the head, you can't hit me up the throw, and so there really is no duress on a quarterback anymore. The only pressure that he's got, basically, really is 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 accuracy and, and running the and running the offense. And um, if you've been in a position for a long period of time and you've got that skill set, it's really hard to upset a quarterback who's been around for a while. You know, and so you have the guys like you know, the guys that are forty years old that are playing in the Super Bowl, they're already playing in the playoffs to go to a Super Bowl. You know, um, because of that longevity, because once you know a system and you feel comfortable and you can make reads, it's really hard to stop you. And so I think it really puts the defense at a disadvantage unless you've got a massive pass rusher and really good um, corners that can, you know, can man up on somebody. And then that way at least, you know, takes some of the time away. But other than that, it's really, it's really hard. The advantage is really, really with the offense. And that's a big difference to me between you know, what was and what is. Uh, how the whole thing's run. All right, so let's have a little bit of fun with this, okay? And I know you'll get a yeah. kick out of what I'm about to ask you. We know you threw for 55 touchdowns in your career. Of course, it didn't hurt to get uh, four on one night, but 55 nonetheless what you ended up with and 10,711 yards. So let's take those numbers back then, and what do you think they would tra- uh, translate into 2020 numbers? <laughs> Well, let's see. First of all, so you could probably say um, we're going to throw the ball about three times as much as you did, at least probably about three times more than you were throwing back then. You know, um, uh, at least doubled. Okay, so you can double that right off the bat. Second of all, um, uh, since it's more of a passing game, you've got wide receivers that that um, are more. What's uh, uh, the word I want to use? Are more used to catching the ball more often, but also running the, after they catch the ball right. and getting so there's a huge advantage there as well. And um, so you know those numbers go up. You know what I mean? The interceptions go down and the numbers go up. And uh, and longevity as far as injury goes, you know, part of, part of the game for quarterbacks and one of the reasons why they started changing rules, you know, uh, in the late '80s was because of one season when you got I think there's like five quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks that were basically put out of commission. Right. Um, you know, the TV ratings go way down when that happens, and so we can't have that happen. And so, you know, so guys are to slide, and you can't get hit, you can't touch, you know. And so, and now today, it's it's um, it's, it's it's really obvious, you know. Uh, so, the injuries on quarterbacks are a lot less. So, give me an idea where your numbers would be. Uh, let's uh, not I play dodgeball here. Two, I gave you the three, and then and then take out the two strike years. Because, uh, okay. One, one was minimized and the other one was uh, short. Okay, that's so you true. Take those two years out. Yeah. All right. And uh, and so you run those, and so you take uh, so that would another two years. Um, let's see, I was on injury reserve for a year and a half. Right. Um, so multiply, just multiply it by three. That's the best way to do it. All right. So fifty-five times three is one sixty-five, I think. All right. Well, that's close like enough. <laughs> I'm doing it off the top of my head. I don't have the ability to use the calculator. <laughs> that's all right. That's it's okay. Really, it's, it, to be honest with you, it's really hard to tell because you know the game was so much different. You know the way you ran an offense was completely different. You know the use of you know your running backs because you had to have a run game. Uh, because if you threw the ball, one out, you know there's three things that could happen, and, and only one of them was good. The other two were bad. And so today it's you throw the ball three three things can happen, and all three of them are good. So, All right, so Candy did the math for us since I don't have access to the calculator. It's 165. So, what do you, Candy, do the math from 10,711 and times that by three, and we're going to have a little bit of fun with Eric so that we can give you the 20. Yeah, 10,711 yards times three. 
All right, hold on, Eric. We're gonna we're gonna come up with your two thousand and twenty numbers, okay? Thirty-two thousand one hundred thirty-three. Thirty-two thousand. Thirty-two thousand one hundred thirty-three. There you go, Eric. We just uh, we just bumped you up a few notches here, okay? Uh, no problem, anytime, pal. <laughs> All right, we've got two more football uh, questions, and then you and Candy are going to have a little bit of talk about your nonprofits. How's that sound, okay? That sounds great. All right, well, let's talk about, give me your thoughts about Matt Stafford. I, I love Matt Stafford. Anybody that would think that they should trade him definitely needs their head examined. But, you know, Matt Stafford's a fine quarterback. But that's my opinion. What's yours? Um, I like Matt Stafford as well. Um, I like him for a couple different reasons. One is he's he's a competitor. Uh, he fights, you know, and he uh, he's he, he'll take he'll get hit, he'll get back up, he'll shrug shrug it off like it never happened. Um, he is not um, he doesn't give up. His attitude's always positive. He fights at the end, you know, for to make those comebacks. He's, he he does well under pressure. Um, he it, it is, it, it, the first part of his career he was getting knocked for um, you know by naysayers about his arm, he throws off balance, he throws high line, he doesn't throw properly and everything else, and um, and today, they look at that same and just say, oh my gosh, look, he, he can throw up his back foot, he can throw his back, he can throw, in fact they're giving the, the guys that have that ability to throw like that a, a lot of uh, uh, kudos you know um, Mahomes being one of them you know, right. uh, uh, Brett Favre was like that, uh, Aaron Rodgers like guys that can throw the ball sidearm and get the ball out and stuff like that. So, so I think done the reversal on, on him, but he's really good at. It. I mean, he's uh, yeah, he's a competitor, and that's what I like about him. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about the potential 17 game schedule that the uh, NFL owners want. Players are resisting, but I have a feeling, according to Demora Smith, the president of the union, he seems to think this deal is going to get done. What are your thoughts about the potential 17 game schedule? Are you for it or against it? Um, I think I, I think I'd be for it, and the, and the reason I say that is is you know they played the preseason games and they're 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 non games they're dumb so we're extending it anyway. Um, that's what I think, and so let's add make make a uh, make make it a game that counts as part of the, the season. The hitting rules they have as far as uh, contact during practice is is gone down significantly. That the, the rules you can only have so many pad days out of the whole year, and so um, when you go to training camp today, there are no, you know, two patches a day hitting, you know, and that was we had about six weeks of that, right. and uh, that's been thrown out, and so they have you know pads and shells, um, you know, very minimal, and uh, and so they're not doing hitting in practice per se, they're saving it for the games, and so adding a game, you know, the biggest beef against having seventeen games was because the additional wear and tear on the body, but they're taking a lot of the wear and tear away from it during from training camp. And so um, I think the body can handle it. Yeah, well, not only that, let's not, uh, 1979, Gary Danielson got injured during the last uh, preseason, and he was out for the year. I know the Lions went deep into the, uh, I believe they had Joe Reed and then Jeff Connell, a ninth round pick yeah. out of Delaware, yeah. took over before, you know, uh, you came on board uh, later on after that, so... I agree with you, I, and not only that, it's more money in the players' pockets as well instead of a meaningless preseason game. I don't. What do they pay for uh, during preseason? I've always wondered about that. Uh, well, the you know current grades, I, I'm not really sure. I got to go back and look, but it's it's um uh it's not it's not like what you think. Uh, I, I can tell you this. Okay, so for their preseason games uh, during uh, we get paid five hundred dollars a week. They 
basically is what we got paid uh, during training camp. And then so you'd play a, a preseason game, and it's just part of, you know, it's, it's part of practice, really. Right. Um, you really didn't get paid for it. So the, um, I, I don't know if it was like, I forget what it was, or some minimal thing, I don't know, whatever it was. But um, you, didn't, you didn't really get, get started getting paid until the season started, because that's when your contract began. Right. You know, and so... Um, so it's not worth it for preseason games really to, to play in my count. You need maybe two for, you know, to actually hit and find out, you know, to get used to hitting during game and get game speed up. But I don't, I don't need four. It used to be you bring, you know, 140 guys in the camp and, you know, 45 would make the team. And so you'd have that 100 guys, extra guys in there during training camp. You had to do a lot of hitting to find out who's going to stay, who's not going to go. So you actually made the team through attrition in many cases, right? And um, and today they don't do that. They already kind of have a pretty good idea um, of who's going to be on the team and who's not going to be on the team by the way they draft, by the way they pick, the way they do things, and the money is such that it kind of locks them in into certain people they they are going to be playing, uh, regardless of, of what the you know. So the, those battles for position are much uh, smaller now than they used to be, you know, in training camp and stuff. Well, years ago they used to have six and they came down to four. So that, but that's fine. All right, well, let's turn our attention over to your nonprofits. Uh, Candy has a bunch of questions that she wants to go to, and then when we're done with this segment, you're going to provide all the necessary contact information to our listeners and whatever you want to put out there, Eric. Candy, the floor is yours with Eric Hipple. So, Eric, let's, let's transition from football to after football. So tell me a little bit about that transition and about these nonprofits that are near and dear to your heart. Well, the, you know, the, the first thing, you know, that, uh, well, you know, I, I've been involved in mental health for about 18 years now, and, uh, and I, I, I'd actually say it started, you know, uh, my journey started back, um, it could be, she could go all the way back, forget about family history and stuff, but, um, but when you left the game of football, um, um, I'll even tie it into, you know, some of being ostracized out of a group, because nobody leaves the game, there's a few now that will. But nobody had left the time but would leave the game because they wanted to. They were either cut, injured, or were forced to leave. And um, and by that, that means everything that you had, mm-hmm. you know, is now gone. Your support system's gone. Your doctors are gone. You know, the, your teammates are gone. So there's no locker room. You can't even go back in, you know, to work out or anything else. You can't go through those doors, right? You know, become an outside person. And so ostracizing somebody, you know, kicking them out is very painful. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, on research studies, it shows up at the same place that physical pain shows up is to be ignored and to be removed and to be, you know, pushed out. And so that's that's what's one thing. The other piece of it is, you know, for like in my case, you know, I started playing football when I was nine years old and um, I was cut at, you know, when I was 32 years old. And so from that whole time, from nine years old to 32 years old, you know, I wore a uniform every fall as I was the identity of a quarterback. So about the year, I've got a uniform on. And, um, and so that you know, also that loss of identity of not knowing who exactly who you are, and now you're on the outside of the bubble and trying to, you know, I, I have I got my degree in college, but now who, baseball I'm competing against have been in the job world for ten years, and so you've got a ten year gap that you've got to try and catch up on, and um, and so that's a very difficult thing. So a transition is very tough. Mm-hmm. And what I started, you know, picking up on is not only. Um, was our guys were going through on these transitional issues and showing up with, you could call it behavioral health issues, um, depression. Um, I think at one point in time we did a survey and found about 15% of our guys were moderately to severely depressed. 
you know, after they left the game at some point in time. And, um, and a lot of it was doing to, due to that transitional piece. The other thing that happens is, you know, the human need to belong is so strong. I mean, we all have a need to belong, right? Right. And so when you remove that away from somebody, the groups that they belong to, um, trying to find, you know, another group to belong to, um, sometimes gets people in trouble. It also sometimes, you know, leads to people making bad decisions financially because they're making it with their emotions of trying to belong to something rather than the logical sense of what the how, how the money should be, you know, used, mm-hmm. you know, for a good logic, you know, strategy. And so all that stuff is caught into that, into that transitional piece. And so I really started watching it and started to learn more. And then um, I actually went and did some training and worked, you know, uh, for 11 years at the University of Michigan Depression Center. And, um, and while I was doing that, I started trying to build programs up. Um, one of the things I, uh, do, I did was suicide prevention. I was picked up by the Navy to go do um, workshops for, uh, uh, with a team that would go to these different uh, bases and do workshops, and my new part was suicide prevention. And I started noticing very similar aspects for the military. They're training all the time. You know, they wear a uniform. They have a hierarchy of man. They're mission-oriented, very much like what happens with football players. And so when they left the game, or excuse me, when they left the service, that uniform comes off, um, or they were injured and removed, uh, very similar circumstances that transition. And so I started matching up and trying to work with those groups. And, and from that, we started the After the Impact Fund. You know, After the Impact Fund uh, was just like it says. It's after the impact of transition. It's after the impact of injury. It's after the impact of blast wave or uh, whatever it might be, post-traumatic stress. But it's after the impact. And so what do you do about that? And that was that transitional piece. And so after the impact fund, uh, reaches out to um, and tries to provide funds for treatment for both uh, veterans and for um, uh, former players. Former players mostly have funding today because of the new um, uh, funding sources that the NFL pretty much has. But so our, our job is to go out and actually, you know, work with our veterans and try and help them out. And um, so that's the After the Impact Fund. Along those lines, if you, can I just keep on going? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. The floor is yours. I guarantee I won't lose my voice over this show. Keep, keep it going, Eric. <laughs> so along those lines is the uh, – I, I, um, one of the uh, things that we built a program tied into the After the Impact uh, Fund was working with um, – as we worked with these guys um, – we would get guys in that would come in on behavioral issues, but maybe uh, they were identifying with, you know, brain concussions or something like that. And so some of these guys, they had a really hard time getting getting them well. You know, some of them were still suicidal after a month, and what's going on here, and why can't we get them better? And um, I was uh, uh, asked by a neurologist, his name's uh, Dr. Benson, about, he said, well, why don't you have them tested for the endocrine system? And I had no idea what he was talking about. And so uh, I was already been doing some work with him, so we took him over to an endocrinologist and uh, they just, it's called a STEM test and uh, tests their hormones and these guys uh, found out they had like zero growth hormone zero testosterone um, and as we age it goes down but we should never be at zero okay and you got a guy who's 35 years old and 40 who has no testosterone and no growth hormone being produced what is that and it's called hypopituitarism it's a it's pituitary dysfunction due to TBI induced, so traumatic brain injury induced. And I started noticing a lot of our guys, um, so we started treating them, and and um, their quality of life came back uh, amazingly. 
and they, they felt whole again. And so um, we're now doing a research project. Um, I say we, I just, you know, I don't work for them. I kind of more, more or less represent them and uh, as I do other foundations. And uh, the, uh, uh, we're doing it for, uh, for former football players. The research just started about, uh, about a month ago. And so if anybody's listening that's a former player, feel free to, you know, contact. But it's the Center for Neurolog- Neurological Studies. Uh, so CNF, Center for Neurological Studies. And um, we're doing that research right now for, uh, for former players. Mm-hmm. And the hope is, you know, um, we'll, after the testing and do some of the treatment, we'll be able to um, actually bring it and publish the papers saying this is a real thing. No need to worry about if anybody's listening, man. This is a national yeah. broadcast, Eric. So, yeah, fantastic. So you don't have to worry about that. If anytime you get iHeartRadio and the rest of our people out there, uh, I can guarantee your vo- voice will be heard when I get done with it. I'll make Don King look like a bad promoter. Yeah, <laughs> so, but we need that because I, I need you know former players to come forward, you know, and um, and if nothing else get tested, and so they can they can reach out to. Uh, uh, Center for Neurological Studies dot org. So that's CNS. We can get that later. But anyway, it's not trying to. Uh, yeah, continue on. Things. You have other stuff yeah. you want to get to. So, uh, you know, so along that aspect of it, we were having a lot of guys come to us to say, you know, I've got CTE, I've got. But, you know, some of these guys, you know, I was looking at and we were trying to assess, a lot of them had, you know, mental health issues going on too. Maybe exacerbated by the transition. But, you know, uh, more work in that area of, of, uh, of uh, mental health. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, my main thrust involved in mental health was I, I lost a son to suicide. Wow. And uh, he was 15 years old, um, and he had never hit his head. Um, he played basketball. And uh, as a freshman in high school, he took his life. And so that threw, threw me into the mental health world of trying to get answers. And so I just really, you know, been involved and invested in this. And in fact, uh, one of the other programs um, that I work with in, in the train and promote and trying to get into schools. Uh, they're in about 130 schools here in Michigan from KLA, from K to uh, K-12. And um, it's, it's called Be Nice, which that sounds really simple, doesn't it? Be nice. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? But the nice part stands for notice, invite, challenge, and empower. So it's about recognizing and being uh, using the right terminology, getting rid of stigma, but only empowering yourself to help someone else or to help yourself to ask the right questions. And so um, there's a large level of there, it's all student-driven, but there's a large level of there of a peer-to-peer outreach that, that's really um, effective. And um, the hardest thing about right now, uh, there really isn't stigma in high schools. There really isn't stigma you know, for people entering into college anymore. You know, they know what mental health is or mental illnesses are. They know what those things are. They talk about them. The stigma becomes trying to get help because it's so difficult to get help. There's there's such a lack of resources and um, waiting, you know, three months to get an appointment with a psychiatrist or a really good therapist and the systems and stuff. So that's where the stigma is. We need to get more resources out there. But but anyway, so that program, though, um, is uh, is one that's near to my heart. It's Mental Health Foundation of Western Michigan. But um, we're growing the program, and it's, like I said, it's called BeNice.org. And... um, so since that's school-driven, that was part of my passion as well. Well, we have a regular guest, Eric, named Michael Keller, who uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Keller, but he lives in Michigan, upstate Michigan, near Cadillac. And he told me that he's already got signs of CTE, uh, 
symptoms. So, you know, I can appreciate when I hear CTE, yeah. it's one thing to hear it. It's another to know when you have people that you are that you know, it affects you in a more direct way, if, yeah. if you follow where I'm coming from. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things about mental health in itself, and I, and I say that because it has a lot to do with um, awareness, understanding that uh, when things do happen, it can have an effect. You know, stress like that, you know, it can have an effect on you. Um, the, the genetics of having, you know, a predisposition for uh, for anxiety, for example, or uh, even people who are more susceptible, susceptible to concussion. And then you take that thing and you throw a really stressful thing like a transition into it. It can actually exasperate um, any injuries that you had, including brain injury. It can exasperate them and it makes it harder to heal. In fact, right. post-concussive syndrome can lock in for a longer period of time. And it can kind of start that way down. And the pituitary function of not being able to produce, you know, growth hormone and testosterone and to help clean up, you know, the some of the cell death that goes on inside of a brain when it gets damaged um, also, you know, can lead and, and uh, complicate things as far as that, uh, the what we're talking about is CTE down the road. And so trying to stave that off a longer period of time. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are, you know, you know, high omega-3s and stuff that you take like that to try and push that off a little bit. But, but really the behavior health part of no matter what's going on, you know, trying to um, understand that, you know, the, uh, the sense of purpose, the sense of well-being that, that a person has and they're realizing that when things do happen, what they do about it is the important piece, right? Because if we, if, you know, uh, one thing that's common, we all, we all have, we're, we're all different. You know, different backgrounds, different genetics, and different even. Though, but there's a lot of similarities too, and that has to do with you know, feelings. And um, you know, if uh, if you say you're sad, I understand what that is because I I've, I've been sad. If you say you're happy, I understand what that is because I've been happy, right? And so communicating through those modes and trying to be a source for somebody, because one of the most devastating thing a person can go through when they're going through any of this, which is the mental health issues or gets transitional issues, is that isolation. And that burdensome feeling that you feel to the rest of society. Yeah. I feel like I'm just in the way all the time. I feel like a failure. I feel like a, a, a loser. My self-worth is so far down. And so I will isolate. I won't c- communicate. I won't connect. And I feel like I'm the only one going through something. Right. When somebody's doing that, right, having this other person on the other side just to connect with presents hope. And uh, it's a hopelessness that causes, you know, suicides. It's hopelessness that causes people to isolate substance use. And, I mean, that's not the only thing. But it's part of it, trying to change the way that you feel, the way you behave. And so um, so we can be a really good, um, uh, I don't even want to use the word mentor, but a peer, somebody who listens so I can support. It's one of the reasons why the Detroit Lions have, uh, We five, five years ago, we put in a peer-to-peer outreach group. There's eight of us. So we uh, we brought in a, a trainer. We trained on you know outreach, trained on mental health. And there's eight of us that do outreach for the Detroit Lions for our alumni. And um, it's done really, really well, and it's been a really rewarding experience. And it's starting to get some of the attention from you know, some of the other teams of, as far as you know, what does that look like? And and we've actually saved lives, maybe a couple people that uh, of our alumni. We got some guys to help that help that needed it, and so it's um, it's really a cool thing. This peer-to-peer outreach is, is really, really neat. That's another piece that you know of connection. Well, all I can tell you is when I. Um hooked up with you down in Miami and then you went on Rudy Reyes's show and you know it was neat just to see you again after uh, after a little while since I relocated and traded uh, 
the north for the southern exposure is I knew you had a good story and I'm glad that you got it out there for a few minutes with him but in my mind you're more of an inspiration to me to be able to come forth and talk about it at the levels that you're doing because I don't judge a guy when he does solely on the field but what has he done off the field to try to make you know an impact on somebody else's lives you know and I can tell you right now I'm just going to throw a few names and one day if we when you come out again we can talk about other players that are going perhaps going through but a few that stand out in my mind are, are Jim McMahon formerly of the Bears yes. and Mike Annamley's story as well uh as well publicized too uh, again we'll get into that down the road and of course you alluded to Eric Kramer but for me for anybody out there that wants an inspiring story I encourage you to go to www.southfloridatribune.com and we have Eric Hipple's story up there and hopefully if you get a chance down the road and you feel free to do it you're welcome to send us more material so we can get it out there for people to read it because I don't think you can ever have enough exposure to what you're talking about I think that as a fan, you know one thing, but what, you have to know what the player goes through. You, you know, not only what they've done in the locker room, all the numerous practices and the games, but over an accumulation of a period of time. And, you know, again, Junior Seau, you know, who would have thought that he would have passed away the way he did? I'm not going to get into many more names, but you, you know where I'm going with this, right, Eric? I, I do, and, um, and it's in... Uh and today, there seems to be an acceleration of, uh, of uh, suicidal uh, behavior. And, um, and again, I, I would just, you know, do, a, do, do an outreach thought here, which is, you know, um, there's enough negative things in the world, you know. Um, let's focus on the positive. Let's give a smile to somebody. Let's, let's look somebody in the eye and say hello to them. And, uh, and, uh, and just try and be on the bright side and be a support system to somebody. And um, and help and let's help each other. You know, it's a great thing. Okay. Are there any Be other? Nice. Are there any other things you want to talk about this subject, or would you like to uh, give our listeners uh, a way to contact you uh, so that they can hopefully uh, do what they can to spread the word or whatever? The floor is yours in terms of what you want to put out there in terms of contact information. It's, go ahead, Eric. I'm throwing you the well, pass this time, and I, you're the I, wide I, receiver. <laughs> Well, you've thrown enough passes. I can throw one at you, man. So here's here's the thought. Here's the thing. Um, Yes, there's places um, uh, for anybody who's looking at, you know, depression and uh, maybe looking for a way for somebody else. This is not my site, but um, but I spent 11 years there, University of Michigan. They have a great site. It's called the the depressiontoolkit.org. So it's depressiontoolkit.org. It's the University of Michigan's Depression Center. It's out, and it's got a lot of great information on it. Uh, for former players, or for, you know what, we, we also see, um, they see, I should say, Dr. Benson and, and Center for Neurological Studies, sees um, not only car accident patients with head injury, but also uh, across the board, all sports, and we've helped a lot of people just, you know, that, that aren't athletes uh, along the way, but um, they are, we do have the study going that will help everybody because it's recognizing this as, a, as an injury point, which is the... Uh, which is the uh, hypopituitarism or uh, TBI-induced pituitary dysfunction. And um, so that's CNS, Center for Neurological Study. So um, centerforneurologicalstudy.org.com, um, I think it is. 
you know, I got me, I got me confused. Um, right. And then, of course, UMass.org. It's a school uh, presentation. More than a presentation, it's a cultural change driven by students, and uh, that's a fantastic site. Uh, um, it's called BeNice.org. So B-E-N-I-S, excuse me, N-I-C-E. Nice stands for Notice, Invite, Challenge, and Encounter. And then, of course, the uh, After the Impact Fund, um, doing a lot of great work. And uh, uh, we help people you know, get to uh, treatment, whether um, addiction treatment or whether behavioral uh, issues or mental health treatment. And uh, we work a lot with vets, but also former players as well. And, uh, uh, and we're starting into the corporate world as well. So, again, that's um, After the Impact Fund. And, of course, for me, if anyone's interested in having me speak, um, they can contact me through ericdipplespeaks.com. Uh, That's ericdipplespeaks.com. So you want to end the show on a fun note? Okay. Remember Bob Reynolds, yes. the announcer, right? Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember Bob real well. So, all right, I'm going to give you a little bit of play-by-play here. So I'm going to, and I'm the quarterback and you're the wide receiver. So can you handle it? I got it. All right. Uh, the Motor City Manmouth is back to pass. He fires downfield. He's got Eric Hipple. Hipple at the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10. Touchdown, Motor City Manmouth to Eric Hipple. Bingo. What do you think, Eric? Um, look at this dance I'm doing, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you do it as good as Billy White Shoes Johnson? I don't know. There we go, man. That's one thing I do like today. They're getting back into the dancing thing in the end zone. A lot of people don't like that. But I'm saying, man, if you score a touchdown... Hey, listen, I never threw a touchdown pass over in the NFL since I have a quarterback on the other end of this microphone there. I get to be quarterback. You get to be wide receiver after all. Nobody could have started out their debut better than you did on Monday Night Football, 10-19-1981. So what can I tell you, Eric? It's been such a blast having you on the program. And, God, you got to let me feel like I threw a touchdown in the, in the NFL and this is as close as I'm going to get to it because I'm so busted up. I would never see the field, let alone the artificial surface that stands out there. So, uh, well, you, your imaginary quarterback and, and uh, my imaginary actually catching a touchdown pass—we're both in the same league. So. Oh yeah, we are. We're in a league of our own, man. If I'm using up that uh, analogy, so be it. I'm guilty as charged. But you know what, Eric? I tell you what—it's been an actual. I've had a lot of fun with this uh, opportunity to go out there and. Uh, Get your cause out there, and you've been a super guest and a good friend. So I'm glad that we were able to do this, much less the fact that we have a Green Bay Packers girl sitting across the table from us. That's okay. I've got Wisconsin family over there, so uh, I, I have to be a Packer fan, you know, every once in a while. But anyway. Well, I do too, actually, now that you mention that, because you know what? I spend more time with my Wisconsin family than my own family in Detroit. Not that against them per se, but, you know. I uh, definitely realized that, uh, you know, it was pretty neat. And I did send a group text before we went on the air to a lot of our family members that Candy was talking to a former Detroit Lions quarterback. And believe me, they're going to get a kick out of this. I don't know whether they're going to lose their uh, hearing after my play-by-play and my imaginary catch. But you know what? Who cares? Do you? No. Enjoy it, man. Hey, thank you very much for the time. Um, And uh, let me – some of this uh, work that I, I feel passionate about. I well, really appreciate it. Well, you know what, Eric? It's been an absolute pleasure talking to a guy that I watched play the game, and now it's just nice to be able to have an opportunity to share your story with a lot of people. So Eric Hippel, folks, is on the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network. We're here live on the Sports Exchange. So 
Eric, I want to thank you again, and we'll definitely be in touch. Okay, hope you hope you enjoyed your time on the program, Eric. Certainly did. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, me you. too. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye.